0: Hello, thank you for joining us.
1: This is How Have You Not Seen, a movie podcast where we fill in the gaps in each other's cinematic knowledge by asking important questions like, You seriously never watched Pearl? Or, You really haven't seen The Bird with the Crystal
2: Plumage? Or, How have you not seen The Umbrellas of Cherbourg?"
1: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of How Have You Not Seen. I am your co-host, Caroline Thompson. I am the other co-host, Carson Betts. And this is How Have You Not Seen, a movie podcast where each week, we pick one of our favorite movies that somebody hasn't seen. (laughs) We talk about it. Then we all, everyone on the podcast goes and watches the movie. (laughs) Usually it's only two of us (laughs) talking about it. This is so sad. Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's, uh, it's it's uh, uh, it's uh, it's a, uh, it's a long walk. Um, that is all a joke to, to uh, Joe. I, I use joke loosely, actually. That's not really a joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is all a strange way of saying we've got a couple of guests this week. We have, uh, joining us, uh, Carly and Aaron coming from the Hit Factory podcast. You guys welcome.
2: Hello, Hello. Hello. Hello.
1: We're so yeah. happy to be here. We are here. We are so stoked to have you guys. Um, it's been it's been a long time in the making. I feel like so, we are very stoked to have you guys on.
2: Thrilled to be here. I
0: feel like when we first talked about doing our podcast with you, Caroline, that was like ages ago. Two years ago. <laughs> yeah, that was like I and think, sh- I think it was early sh- twenty one
1: or like mid
0: twenty one. Yeah, okay, yeah so like more that. than two years ago. Well, and then like. Immediately after we finished recording, we were like, okay, well, we like need to hang out again. Let's, let's like do this. And now it's two and a half years later.
1: Yeah. But we're
0: doing it. We're doing it. Time is funny that way.
1: It's
3: weird how it keeps moving forward. I kind of hate
0: it. Like
1: in
3: like a way
0: that's linear. It's linear. It's like,
3: you guys ever thought about how like time's like a flat circle? Okay. We're stopping that now.
1: Is
0: that weird?
1: (laughs) Uh well, we are so stoked to have you guys here. And um it has come to our attention you've not seen a certain film. Um, and we're gonna start this episode the way we start every week, which is Carly and Aaron. How have you two not seen the Umbrellas of Cherbourg?
2: Wow, great question. Uh it's just escaped me. It's eluded me, frankly. Uh Jacques Demy was not part of my film school curriculum and i think after i graduated from my film studies program however long ago now a decade plus uh i just stopped watching as much french cinema european art house in general um and i I know that this one has sort of been A a film that has gained a lot of popularity in the wake of Damien Chazelle's La La Land, uh, where a lot of people maybe first heard about it. Um, Whether or not it was canon before that, I don't know. But now it certainly feels like it is uh, canon or canon adjacent enough to say, wow, I really should have seen this by now, I guess. Uh, So we offered it up to you all and offered ourselves as tribute to come on and and talk about it
0: yeah
1: carly do you have anything anything to add any personal things
0: yeah so two reasons for how i haven't seen what's it called
2: the umbrellas of cherbourg
0: the umbrellas of cherbourg (laughs) one is that i have never heard of it until we were talking about (laughs) movies to discuss with you all fine people and aaron was like this one and i was like that would fit the bill because I have never seen it or heard of it so let's put it on the list Um, and then the other reason for how I haven't seen The Umbrellas of Cherbourg is that most of the time when I'm asking myself what type of movie would I like to watch I'm the answer to that question is usually something like The Den of Thieves (laughs) and that's like not The Umbrellas of Cherbourg (laughs) from what I gather (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs)
1: yes so when you say that like the den of thieves in what way specifically
0: um yeah and i should say that it's not the den of thieves just den Den of thieves Thieves. (laughs) that's
2: right you add those to a lot of things
0: like the saw the saw
2: (laughs) carly just just learned for the first time like a few months ago that the movie is not called the saw just saw
0: i'm sorry like the 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 makes it more menacing
2: i suppose so i suppose so yeah but there's more than one is the thing like there is a. You know. It's not
3: the Saw, but it is the Book of Saw Spiral from the the book. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. So I'm. Yeah. Like, the article in that one? I kind of get it. Mm, um. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Correction. Den of Thieves. <laughs> um. When I say like a movie like Den of Thieves, like I like films. I I literally like put this to Twitter one time, and I was like, these, these guys will have answers for this because you know, um. And everyone had so many recommendations. It was like, you know, ex like paramilitary guys like doing heists or like, um, you know, a band of people like coming together to like, you know, climb a mountain and like deliver treasure to someone like that's the shit that I love. And like, you know, triple frontier Triple Nine, a bunch of other movies that were recommended to me. I was like, "This sounds just like Den of Thieves," and then I watched it, and I was like, "Yep, that scratches that itch." We're
2: to, good. To boil it down to even further to its essence, what it really is for Carly is something uh, fast-paced with lots of action, featuring a bunch of gruff middle-aged hot guys.
0: Yeah, Dad. Dad's, dad's doing stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that that's. Actually, a really good uh, way to launch into our next little bit um, because Carly, you mentioned that you suspect that uh, Umbrellas of Cherbourg is not that way. <laughs> Can neither confirm nor deny, but going into it, having not seen the film, what do you know about this movie
0: at I this know, point in time? I know nothing other than it's a French film um it's art house and it's what from the 60s
2: mm-hmm.
0: yep aaron do you know the year
2: i just looked it up in fact it's 1964 okay. yes okay 1964
0: that's literally all i know okay
1: aaron do you have anything you you mentioned the director. you mentioned a little bit about the context of like yes
2: yes so i know i know the name jacques demy i've seen more movies by his brother jonathan um, <laughs> that's a joke Uh, but uh, beyond that, I know that it stars, uh, the beautiful Catherine Deneuve, uh, that it is full of colors that every still I've seen from this looks like a gorgeous, like technicolor fantasy. Um, and judging by what I know of the director and some of the other things I've seen of his stuff, just sort of, you know, like in passing, uh, I guess I anticipate or, or suspect that there's elements of it that are fantastical bordering on like oppressively twee.
1: Okay. Okay. I think, yeah. Yeah. I think that will be an interesting take to come back to, to see if you, to see if you think that holds up or not. I don't, I, I won't give it away either way. I won't, I won't prime you with my opinion, but I like that that's where your brain is at walking into it. Um, is that all you all, all you two know about the film? Is there anything else that's on your mind or anything you're like, I think this might be or
0: the totally only fine reason I, that. The only reason I say it's the opposite of Den of Thieves or not like Den of Thieves is about an assumption I made based on like what I hear people say about like French art house cinema. And I've seen like a handful of movies from that um, from that you know, landscape of cinema enough to sort of have my own opinion about it and know what I like and don't like. But I'm I'm making a a gross assumption that like there isn't there isn't (laughs) action or um or you know sort of like um I guess more like meathead thriller tendencies in French art house cinema. Uh, and so therefore like I'm extrapolating outward <laughs> and deciding that that's the case for umbrellas of share <laughs> work. I may very well be wrong.
1: We will find out whether or not you're right or wrong, but um, <laughs> yes. Um, if that is all, you know, before we go and break and watch the film, we do have a little thing we like to do, which is we have a little game that we like to play on the show. And, um, we have many games, but we have prepared one for y'all today. Uh, this is a game that we call our untitled letterboxd game.
2: Great
1: game. (laughs) I love it. And so the way that this game works is I have three reviews from three different films. Uh, one of which they are all from letterboxd.com. The, uh, the movie, uh, rating, reviewing social media website slash app. Um, And one of them is for The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Two of them are for different movies. So I'm going to read them aloud. And based on what you know about the film, uh, we want you guys to try to identify which one you think might be Umbrellas of Cherbourg.
0: Who gets credit for thinking of this game because this rules? Uh, I think it was a collab between Carson and I. I
1: I think it
3: was like I had the idea of... I think it came from I spent a lot of time looking at one star letterbox reviews and I was like, we need to think of a game. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. It was definitely it. came yeah. from you and we kind of workshopped like and
3: then we morphed it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love it. Cause, cause I remember because we used to do we used to do only our Rotten Tomatoes Prices Right or Two Truths and a Lie. And we were trying to yeah. come up with some more. And you were like, I really want to come up with a way to do one based on letterboxed reviews. And that's this is what we fucked yeah. around and found out.
0: <laughs> i'm so into it i can't wait I, I really can't wait to hear what they are
1: okay and oh. and I, I i should preface and i will give the stars but they are all negative reviews that we pulled so great that i can't fucking
2: wait yeah
1: <laughs> so review number one uh watch uh the 11th of april 2023 one half star I swear, you guys only say you love old films like this to sound cool and smart because there's actually no way any of you can sit through these things without sleeping or going on your phone. That is review number
0: one. That person has no joy in their heart, but yes, continue. (laughs) (laughs) I agree.
1: Um, Review number two. Film's message is pathetic. Entirely lacks a plot, is full of illogical and laughable plot conveniences, poor editing, terrible action, script is often laughable, moronic third act, characters are mostly shallow, makeup is quite good. Though the film's premise is theoretically interesting, the many faults of the film compound to make it garbage, suffers further due to content. Rating F reviewed the 6th <laughs> of April 2022
3: there's um, already a rating system on Letterboxd you don't have you do a to letter
2: score, yeah. oh my god yeah, it's not bad enough.
0: I love how that person like really really drove home like who they were as a movie watcher by uh by mentioning in their rating content with yeah. regards yeah. to a movie that's my least fucking favorite thing even if you mean it in like the like original form of the meaning before like you know, digital everything changed the word like I don't know, yeah. and I like movies with shallow characters so,
2: <laughs> and nonsensical plotting. Go
0: figure. And poor shallow house is
3: my favorite movie. <laughs>
0: You stop. <laughs> oh my God. I haven't thought about that movie in ages.
2: I think about that movie literally every day.
0: I, I think about that movie. That is, that's
2: one of those
3: men think about the Roman Empire things, yes. I think. <laughs> I
2: think about the Farrelly Brothers comedy, weird. Shallow Hell. I think about him calling Tony Robbins Banana Hands. Yes. Yeah. God, what a
1: weird
0: movie.
1: <laughs> uh, I do not remember hardly any of that film, but I'm it's glad. Good. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you too think about
3: to.
2: it frequently. Yeah. Jason Alexander the, has a tail. Yeah.
1: That part I, I do remember. <laughs> nah. um, yeah. yeah. Review number three is this film looks gorgeous, but holy fuck I do not care about anything that's happening and the singing is insufferable after two minutes. Oh my god. One half star. Damn. I
0: just... As a, as a concept, I find these types of reviews so fascinating because I'm like, I can't, I can't imagine hating something that much and then like going online and spending time writing about how much I hated it. Like it is, I, just, I can't relate to that impulse.
1: Yes, it is a phenomenon. Carson and I frequently discuss about this game is yeah. the reviews because they are so negative are like g- generally pretty unhelpful and actually sussing shit mm-hmm. out because they're so unhinged in their <laughs> <Yeah>. takes. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. Like you'll grab one for citizen Kane and it will be like one half star. Like this is like the worst movie ever fucking made. Like actually this is the the example I always use is somebody said regarding citizen Kane, this is the worst film I've seen since twilight. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. One half
0: star. Yeah, nothing about yeah. Yeah.
2: Why?
1: Why? Why? Like it gives you no help anyway. So. Oh my god! No. Yeah, you
2: can't be that broadly negative about this. I know, like Carly's going to make fun of the simples, but I did just like write like a very comprehensive like one and one half star review yesterday that cited explicitly the things that I took issue with in the movie.
0: Comprehensive is
2: better than you know but yeah when you get to the point where you're the like the
0: lady's hair was brown the action is terrible off. and the story <laughs> yeah. is
2: dumb and the plot doesn't make any sense like okay makeup was okay Citizen Kane. Was he wears
0: too many hats like right, right. yeah <laughs> uh yes
1: yeah, so okay, if you guys so, need any of any reminders of those reviews again but yes
2: carly uh, what do you think
0: i yeah. think okay can i uh are we allowed to talk shit about strangers?
2: <laughs> Literally, sure. The
0: yeah, if, yeah.
3: yeah. Letterbox is fair game. Yeah, that's a, right. It only is Like, sorry. Demons and degenerates live there. I'm sorry. <laughs> totally I want agree. Them, but, okay. And yeah.
2: apologies in advance if any of these letterbox users wind up being your most faithful listeners or something like that. But
1: I would, uh, if they are, that's that, yet to happen. Yes.
0: Okay. So I think it's. I think it's. I think that the second one is for umbrellas and the reason that I think that is because I can tell by the way this person wrote their review that they fancy themselves a cinephile. They're talking about things like Mm. narrative scare quotes and like, you know, um, the depth of a given character, right? Uh, They're talking about like production elements editing makeup okay so they think they know movies right because they're talking about all that stuff so that type of person is a person who would probably watch a film like Umbrellas of Cherbourg and I think that type of person is also a person who cares about knowing movies (laughs) more than they actually care about movies you know what I
1: mean yes a hundred percent a hundred percent i know exactly the kind of person you're you're talking about that's the type of person that
0: would leave that type of review instead of like engaging with like why the characters are shallow or like what they liked about the makeup or what about the edit you know what i mean like also just like if we're talking about like things to not like about a movie like all of the stuff that they said was just like purely taste which like I don't care what y- your deal is. Like if you're not coming to a movie on its terms, it's not about like what I personally like. Like I can say like this type of film didn't sit well with me because like, I don't like it or, or I don't like this genre. Or, like I have a hard time with it, but then you can't like state that as like objective facts about the film. Mm-hmm. Right. That's Correct. the thing that bugs me. You yeah. have to be like, this is my, I don't like this. Cause I'm this person that doesn't like this thing. <laughs>
1: right? Absolutely. No. Yeah. I think that's really good. Really good logic there. Yeah. Um, I love do you, psychologizing you, people. It's very fun. It's why we're all on twitter.com. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Aaron, do you have a, do you, do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you want to select a different review or do you want to, do you want to also put your claim on number two? Well,
2: here is where my overthinking is going to get the best of me. Because the one thing that I failed to mention that I also know about this movie that we haven't yet, I think, discussed is that The Umbrellas of Cherbourg is a musical. So it leads me to believe that number three may be the negative review, which we talked about, the singing being annoying after like two seconds. However, I also am considering my opponents here. You all are my opponents in this regard. And I'm wondering if you threw this in as sort of a bait and picked a different musical to make me think it would be this one. So I rather than agree with Carly, just to give some variety and spice to the game, am going to go with number one, the person who said something about old movies being trash or whatever. Um, so I'm going to go with the first option as my guess.
1: Excellent. Okay. Um, so Aaron, you're locking in review. Number one, Carly, you're locking in review. Number two. Yep. Cool. Final answer. Carson, do you want to just take a stab? I know the answer, but
3: I also thought three initially. But then I'm like, well, maybe that's La La Land.
2: Mm. Oh, I'm gonna yeah. guess
3: three is La La Land, yeah. and I'm gonna say that uh I think number two as well. I also I think for the same reasons, Carly. I'm thinking number two. Right. Compelling
0: okay. arguments, name? <laughs> um, yeah.
1: I wish I would have thought to grab La La Land as one of the films. Uh, the Aww. bit the bit that I went with for the three films that I picked is way fucking stupider than that. Um, <laughs> so actually, God. review number three was for The Umbrellas of Cherbourg.
2: Okay. Oh my God! Ah! This film looks oh, okay.
1: Holy fuck, I do not care about uh, anything that's happening and the singing is insufferable after two minutes. Um, I'm... I think the reason I picked the other two films is obvious, but maybe it's not. So, film number t- film number one was so film number three, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Film number one, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. <laughs> <laughs> film number two, The Planet of the Apes.
0: Okay, love wow. that. No. Wait, number two was Planet of the <laughs> Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah. The not the burton one right the
3: 1968
2: original planet of the apes okay yes. all of those are insane okay guys. i
0: love love <laughs> and by love i mean hate that this person was like the makeup was good yeah. Fuck off! i mean
2: so good. <laughs> fair but
0: like <sighs> that's that's the most well, you're gonna get it up for the makeup in the original planet of the apes are you kidding me which is so well, that's cool. why
3: for a second, I kind of thought maybe it's the Burton one because that is the one redeeming quality about the Burton Planet of, of the Apes is that the makeup is incredible.
0: Yeah, but he like, didn't. It is. They, they, whomever, didn't say incredible. Yeah. They said makeup's pretty good. good. Yeah,
3: it's fine. Yeah. Like makeup's fine. It's good.
0: <laughs> good.
1: Uh, well, I, I, I am, I am. Uh, usually quite glad when uh when I when I trick Carson into getting the wrong answer mm-hmm. because we keep score across the season but um <laughs> I do always feel kind of bad when I when I when I propose our guests with an unwinnable game but I think both of your logic was very sound and Aaron you you honing in on like ooh, that one might be a little too obvious that is a trick Carson and I pull on each other frequently
0: mm, so yeah. being okay.
1: weary of it was uh not a bad was not a, a bad instinct but good
0: thinking
2: thank you
1: yeah it's it's the whole princess ride like yeah which of these cups is poison thing it's like, it's like well i think it's yeah. that one which means it's that one but you would know that i would think it's that one so it's actually that one which precisely he just says, yeah um but all of that having been said are we ready to go watch the film are we ready to go watch the umbrellas of shareboard for the first time for you two so
0: ready let's do it i can't wait to hear the singing let, yeah, you guys will have to let me
1: know if you find it to be insufferable after two minutes or if you can if you can make it through three plus.,
0: I'll, I will absolutely let you know.
1: All right. Well,, uh, we are gonna take a quick break and go watch the movie, and we will see you all after we have watched the film.
3: Hey, everyone, taking a break in the middle of the episode while well, Caroline and I watched the movie to uh, talk to you about our sponsor this week. And that sponsor is Liquid IV. It's a category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being. And now it comes in sugar-free flavors. Liquid IV can aid in more effective hydration than water alone using a scientifically and clinically studied zero sugar hydration solution. Now I know that there's like an incorrect assumption out there that liquid IV is some kind of sports or energy drink kind of like and Corey you're gonna have to believe this out or whatever swill the rocks peddling nowadays but it's not. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier, the result of extensive R&D to create a product that hydrates you more efficiently than water alone and tastes great while doing it. And this is how it works. You get your little pouch of liquid IV powder, you tear open the top and you drop it in 16 ounces of water and you shake it up. And that water is now much more flavorful and will hydrate you two times as fast as plain water would have. I've used liquid IV after long walks in the sun, or long work days when I forgot to drink water for 10 hours straight, and it works amazingly to get me feeling hydrated. And I'll tell you a secret hack, one rapidly aging millennial to another. It's a great preventative measure against hangovers, too. Uh, Have you ever listened to an episode of this podcast where it kind of sounds like I've had one too many beers? Yeah? I'm looking at you, Ice Storm episode? I probably drank a liquid IV immediately after we recorded. 9 out of 10 times uh, so you can get 20% off when you grab your liquid IV hydration multiplier sugar free or any other variant at liquidiv.com using my coupon code HHYNSpod. pod that's H-H-Y-N-S-P-O-D at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code H-H-Y-N-S-P-O-D at liquidiv.com. All right, back to the episode.
1: And we are back. We're back. From
0: <laughs>
1: We and uh, me and Carson and Carly and Aaron have all just uh, returned from viewing the umbrellas of Cherbourg and um, without spoiling too much, um, I feel like we are going to have a ripe discussion full of very dissimilar opinions. Um, Carly and Aaron, you are the guests. This is the film that you selected. So why don't you go off and tell us? Why don't you give us both your, your takes on the film? I did not select this
2: movie. Uh, here's the thing is we <laughs> we She okay, said, let's be enough. very clear about one thing. Very clear. <laughs> yes, fair enough. I will... in, the,
1: in the group chat we were in, I said it it's up to y'all. And then
2: I gave no further input. <laughs> so
1: what happened behind closed doors before I got the message that says, How about this?
2: Look, it, here's the thing. I like, put it on the short list. It is a universally acclaimed well-loved film that in still images and brief clips looks beautiful.
0: Yeah. When you pitched it, I was like, this sounds like my shit.
2: It's got beautiful people in it. It's got a beautiful production design colors galore. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things about it. So I was as surprised as anybody to find out that uh, I didn't, I didn't particularly care for this film. Um, lots of reasons why, and we can do that. I'm happy to like mount a a thorough critique of, of this thing. Uh, but it just, I don't know. To me, there was something about it that kind of rang hollow. It, It, it is a gorgeous aesthetic exercise. I will maintain that. Like it looks even better, uh, in motion than it does, you know, as still images. But, uh, I, yeah, I just, I walked away from it feeling like, The emotionality of it was kind of broad, like it didn't really do much for me. And I felt, I don't know, even by the end, like I was sold on the last like 10 or so minutes of this movie, but it sort of felt retrofitted. Like it felt kind of contrived to get me to a point of emotional catharsis without doing the legwork in the other 80 minutes of the film. And I just I, I wasn't really there for it for most of the runtime up until the end when I was like this is the more interesting movie to me and it feels like we're rushing this. So you enjoyed part three, the return. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I enjoyed part of, of part three, the return. Ah. Yes, ah. Uh, a third of three. Uh, yes, a, a, a one of one of three. Yes. So uh, I mean, you know, it it, it wasn't all bad. Uh, like I, I I think my overall score of this was like right in the middle on letterbox at like two and a half out of five stars. Um, and I, you know, there are some things I I think just contextually like about the experience of watching it right now in, you know, November of 2023, uh, that affected my overall experience with it. And, you know, it's not things that, that the film can account for. Necessarily, like it, it would be ridiculous to assert that. But I do think that, you know, the the when and where in which we watch films add like uh, a certain texture and and dimension to like what the film is and how it speaks to us. And right now, especially, there was something about it that was inadvertently trivialized about a lot of the proceedings that uh, I was kind of bummed out by. Like I, I did really want to love it. Uh, and I just, I just didn't, I, I, I wound up kind of right, right in the middle.
3: That's interesting. I felt like I was going to be the middle one. <laughs> I, I, I kind of felt like I was going to be the one that was coldest on this. Call, call me Bella, Bella, Swan. I'm, I'm sweet because I feel like y'all are on one side. Caroline, I have read your letterbox review. I feel like you are firmly on the other.
1: Well, yeah. Well, Carly, I want to hear, I want to hear your take.
0: <laughs> i oh, um
1: i what a
3: I
0: hated this movie <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay okay
0: um and it being absolutely beautiful to look at and like incredible set design absolutely stunning costuming and like i'm a fashion girl like i fucking love 60s french fashion and i was eating all of that up but that stuff being as gorgeous and like um sumptuous and as much uh spectacle as it was actually made me more upset because of what i like wasn't getting from the rest of the film um i like grew up dancing like I dance like 20 years of my life I am obsessed with musicals have been since like before I could even fully form sentences and love just like the production the spectacle the melody the way that they can carry narrative and like do work that like just dialogue can't so like I am I'm a musical gal, okay, Um, which is why I was so, like, thrown that I did not like this because this has component parts of things that I love, and for whatever reason, the particular alchemy of this film just did not work on me. I, I was missing the sort of, like, grand production of American musicals, and that's not what this movie is trying to do, and I understand that. But what it gave me instead just left me feeling very bereft. Um, like, I was looking at these beautiful sets and, like, following these, like, lilting melodies that just kind of felt like talk singing. Like, I didn't feel like there was production and, like, electricity and, like, you know, I'm a fucking, like, Zigfield Follies gal. And, like, I wanted... I wanted more of that. And particularly because I love a star-crossed romance. I love whimsy. I love like a wanton heart. I just like, I felt like the the music itself, which is, you know, the the beating heart of this film, or is supposed to be, just did not map to that. Like, I just like wasn't feeling the feelings I wanted to feel for these people. And I, this is a story that I would normally like eat up on paper and just like translated to film. I was like, you're in these beautiful rooms, you're in these beautiful dresses and you're just like singing to bread. Like, I don't get what you're (laughs) doing or why we're here. Um, It felt, it felt, um, just like off for me I felt like the the mix not like the actual like mix of like the sound and things but like the the sort of like variables in the equation of the movie were not netting out to something that worked for me specifically gotcha okay (laughs) okay
1: very cool um so okay I mean well, first of all, I just want to say sorry that you guys came on and did not like the movie. No uh, apologies. No <laughs>
0: apologies. I think this is a very important exercise.
2: Absolutely. And this yeah, is Yeah, no, absolutely. This is a gamble um, you take with a movie you haven't seen before, right? So That is true. You know. Yeah.
1: That is very true. I guess so to my end, uh so Carly, I know that you mentioned that like you didn't really know much about this. You were kind of just like, you know, you let Aaron throw that out and you were like, yeah, that sounds like something that like might be a good thing to, to check out. But um, just f- so, but I don't want to exclude you from this question, obviously. um, I guess like what, what were you, maybe, what were the two of you maybe either expecting that you didn't get, or like, I know we talked about it up top about like what you knew about the movie and like what your sort of um cultural knowledge of the movie is. But I guess like, knowing what you guys knew coming in, like what about that kind of like inspired you to be like, okay, that might be a good choice for this. And then what about like, what didn't live up to that expectation to to make you guys not enjoy the film? If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I I mean, I guess at the most like topical level uh, I hear, you know, like French kind of mid century musical, Uh, bright colors, Catherine Deneuve. I'm like, I'm all there. That sounds great. That sounds awesome to me. Uh, I think what Carly was kind of getting at, just like on a functional level, it's sort of like you know, uh, uh, operatic in the sense that it is sung through, that it is a lot of, literally all of the plot and dialogue conveyed in song. What I was expecting though was some dynamism to that. I think, and like that while you had those moments of exposition kind of sung throughout the film, that we might occasionally have that uh, broken up by legitimate musical performance or something akin to like the whimsy (laughs) that seemed to be like on display in the kind of production design. And I understand now, you know, I think that there is a, a very distinctive kind of like uh, duality happening there, right? That it is this very kind of like melodramatic film um, about uh, uh, loss and and you know like love forbidden and you know distance and and separation and all this kind of stuff amidst this really beautiful setting, um, which which just almost kind of adds to the fury of that heartbreak. Um, but yeah, I mean, like alongside Carly, I think for me it was just that. Uh, I I got kind of sick of of the singing in the film. Uh, it it just uh, I'll use the term broad again to kind of describe what it was doing emotionally. Like the, so often to me, I I kind of started tearing my hair out when I was like, "Why does every one of these scenes begin and end with ninety seconds of each person sing-songing a bonjour or a bonsoir?" an au revoir to everybody you know like i was ready for them to start bidding goodbye to like the tomatoes on the table because it's like this is just happening in every scene now um so i don't know i mean i think it's just like stuff like that where it's like are, are we going for total verisimilitude here or are we going for something that is like you know this kind of fantasy element breaking into that that reality and it never really felt like it knew how to play its hand one way or another
0: i wanted a big fat fucking umbrella production <laughs> i wanted not enough umbrellas i umbrellas wanted of a big musical dance sequence with umbrellas which funnily enough the title the opening title sequence kind of is like it's this gorgeous overhead shot of rain coming down on cobblestones and these beautiful colored umbrellas sort of circling about one another. And like, I was like, oh yeah, like I'm ready for that. Like I want, I want more umbrellas. I want more like big musical productions. And I think the further we got into like the, the story of the film and the like very, real like conversations that these people are having but in this sort of like surreal way and in this surreal setting I was like I, like give me more like Salvador Dali like give me more of the surreality give me more of like umbrellas whizzing in and out of your shop you know like I I felt like that's what was missing for me and I understand that you know the French or maybe not going to do that. That's like a very American sensibility. <laughs> um sure. But I do feel like, you know, what I know about s- surrealist art just having that that be my major art history and like being obsessed with um this period of art making in particular because of the pop art and surrealism that this era generated particularly coming out of the west and in Europe like I was really craving that in this movie. I was craving more surrealism because I felt like it was trying to go there in certain elements of the set design and in the way that it was like staging these sing songy conversations, and it just like it didn't it didn't fully go there, so you know umbrellas twirling umbrellas that's what I wanted
1: <laughs> excellent carson you've been you've been strangely quiet I
3: glad you teed me up because I think that uh, is a very good segue to my thoughts about this movie. So this was my first time watching this movie as well. Um, and I knew nothing about it going on. I'd, honestly, Caroline texted me, I think, the day we recorded the first half of the episode. And we're like, well, Aaron and Carly have chosen this movie. And my response was, what is that? And she was <laughs> like, And she was like, doesn't matter. You're, you'll watch it. You'll figure it out. So I went into this knowing truly nothing um and we did the first half and sort of discussed well it's this uh, french ostensibly a musical though i really i I think i hear you two chafing at that categorization as well and i certainly would watching it i think i'll say this i think this movie is less of a musical than la la land a movie that i my my main criticism of la la land is well it's not a musical actually if you think about it i will fight you i will fight okay sure (laughs) oh You don't like Babylon, but you do like
1: La La Land. Interesting. I don't like La La Land that much.
3: All right. Sure you don't. I think Sure La 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 Land you do is No. No. Excruciating. We can't do fun. it again. We can't litigate Babylon again. Um, no. Whatever. So I start watching this movie, and I'm excited for it. I'm like, oh, God, you know, it's it's color and sounds, and I love musical as well. I, everyone on this podcast, I'm not sure if the two of you know, but we all have theater backgrounds. It's kind of where we come from. Um And it begins, and you get that really beautiful, as you talked about that uh, that umbrella opening, and then it begins with the scene in the in the garage, and they start sing talking at one another, and it's in French. And I have this horrible realization of, oh no, this is a musical entirely in a language I don't I don't know, and I don't speak. (laughs) (laughs) And that makes the movie bad. The complete no, it doesn't. I'm I think I like this movie. More than both of our guests, actually, just less than you. <laughs> and I go, oh, oh my God, how am I going to sit through a musical in which I think so much of the joy of a musical to me, more than, more sometimes even than the, you know, the pomp and circumstance and the staging of it is the way that people attack performance through song. Mm-hmm. And when I don't have access to that, because I just don't know the language and I don't know the, I don't know You know the the little fine ways that people are going to modulate their performance in that way. I I was just like, oh no, I'm in I'm in trouble. I don't know (laughs) if I'll be able to go through this. And I I felt that I felt a lot of what you two are describing up through the first few scenes. And then it kind of struck me that, oh no, okay, so this this is about as far from an American style musical as you can get. This is something closer akin to an opera of the early 1900s. This is Labo M. This is entirely sung through. There are not numbers in this movie. Mm -hmm. It is all one spoken through song. There is, you know, there are scenes and there are uh, sequences, but like the music is, is entirely. It's just one long string of music. And once I kind of settled into that rhythm and I realized that, okay, so what this movie is doing and what it is trying to do is to straddle this middle line between. Well, these are the big, colorful, poppy musical tropes that are present, especially in America in the 50s and 60s. And, you know, these are the expectations of French expressionism. And, you know, we're we're borrowing some things from opera, but we're not even really going all the way there. Right. We're just kind of putting together these artistic elements. We're imbuing this performance with a little bit of rhythm, with a little big of, bit of song. And we're going to see if it can hold together. And we're going to like approach this very broad emotional story as a like capital R romantic, like generic exercise. I, I kind of started to fall into it a little bit more. It, it, it made more sense to me. I, I realized what it was and I started to be able to sit back and enjoy it more. That being said, the idea of not only is this a musical, it's a musical that doesn't have numbers and it's in a language that is not my own, is a barrier so large that I don't think I'm ever going to be able to fully emotionally resonate with this film in the way that it wants me to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I fully expected to come onto this podcast and be like, I'm sorry, guys, I'm just too dumb. I don't get it. Like, I just can't. It's too, it's too artsy and foreign for me. I can't <laughs> access it. Um, but yeah, I liked it. I, I I liked it generally, but not. I didn't dislike it as much as the two of you. I don't think I liked it as much as Caroline did.
1: That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's cool. So uh, defend yourself in your opinions,
0: Caroline. I was gonna say, so that's Caroline, cool. you she says.
1: <laughs> I mean, okay. Um, so here's my take. Everything that you guys have already said, but it's good actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that. Cause yeah, I agree. It's it's very broad. It's very arch. It's very um it's very over the top. It's very, it's very bright. And I do kind of just find myself getting a little overwhelmed by that in a way that I find really um in a way that I personally find really wonderful. And I think that like, I don't know, the story um overall is it is you know, it's it's almost you know, it's almost like Jane Austeny in the like, and then my mother meets like a man from, a man from the business. A diamond and, seller. And then he a comes jeweler. to take my hand, but oh no, he has like a treacherous, pa- whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like it's very, it's very classic. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. Um, But it does have that, like that sixties flair. It does have that sixties pop. And it does just like. I don't know. I do just enjoy that they're just like and like, fuck it, and it's a musical too. Like and it's and it's not based on anything, which I find to be really fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's its own original thing, and it's scored all the way through too, like scored with like a full orchestra. Mm-hmm. So I just find myself very charmed by this film, and also I think Roland Cassard is hot, and I would marry him. Yes, he <laughs> is hot.
3: He I is agree with
0: Hundred percent hot. Yes.
1: He
3: wears a sweater you can work in and I appreciate a sweater you can work Absolutely. in. Absolutely. It's and a
1: beautiful we can, we sweater can come too. Back to sweater. this. Oh sorry.
0: Oh or no, that? I was just I was saying the sweater is beautiful cuz it is.
3: Yeah. I'm I'm um, so sorry. Can I make a quick diversion? It's going to be quick. I swear please, to God. Please. It can be so I've, quick. Y'all seen I am no longer on the app formerly known as Twitter. Uh but y'all are. I'm assuming you have seen the post. Of it's uh, Ben Schwartz doing the, the when Harry met Sally, Yes. Harry in the sweater uh-huh. post. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The discussion of how sweaters have degraded. Well, I was thinking about that a lot watching this yes, Absolutely. I'm like, dear God, these sweaters these sweaters are so finely made that you can work in a you can work in a mechanic shop in them all
0: day. Been, and then he's in, God, a, he's in a fair isle. He's in a ferile print sweater in a mm-hmm. fucking greasy mechanic shop and he looks perfect. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy this film a lot, um, but it is okay that y'all do not. Um, <laughs> so I would love to hear some of, cause you, you kind of alluded to them, Aaron and Carly, you kind of built upon it as well. You mentioned like, there are some things about watching this film that like the film kind of can't anticipate, but you guys seem to have some, some issues with the film. And I'm curious as to what those are. You alluded to them in the beginning, but I'm curious to get into them a little more explicitly.
2: <laughs> uh, sure. Let's talk about them a little bit. So I think one of the things for me, and again, I will say the same way you prefaced, uh, Caroline, that it this is not anything that is the, the film's fault. <laughs> um, but we are watching this now going on like... Thirty days into a geopolitical conflict in the Middle East between uh, the Palestinians in Gaza and the Israeli army, that uh, is a you know horrible human rights atrocity on display. Sorry to get political on the show if you're not really about that, but um, <laughs> no, please. But you know this this is kind of like our bread and butter on our show, and and sort of like how we address things too. And right now, I think that the context of that and a very clear. Uh, conflict between uh, a a oppressed people and a, a colonizer is something that is like very much front of mind right now in everything. Uh, even yes. when I try to put on a whimsical 60s French musical to forget about it. And yes. so this movie introduces very early on as a plot mechanism that uh, the main protagonists, our, our friend Guy played by uh, Nino Castelnuovo uh, is being drafted at the young age of 20 to go to Algeria to fight in the war. Uh, of course, the Algerian war being, you know, one of the most significant, like decolonizing wars of the entire 20th century. Um, if you haven't seen the Gillo Pontecorvo film Battle of Algiers, it's incredible um one of the most significant like pieces of political cinema ever made. It's about this conflict uh, and shows many of the atrocities of the French uh, army uh, against the the people of algeria.
1: And is currently on sale right now at Barnes and Noble.
2: It is. It our sponsor, is. It is 50 percent off in the Criterion, <laughs> okay. 50, in the Criterion Collection. The one I think it's actually streaming on Criterion uh, Channel right now as well. If you care to to find it there, I
1: think you're right. I think it is.
2: Uh, I think that's one of those mainstays for them. It's it's one of like the kind of stalwart uh, films that'll always be there by any means. Again. Like the sort of conflation of these two conflicts, you know, these sort of like uh, decolonizing wars happening simultaneously is totally happenstance, totally kind of coincidental. But I think that the specificity of the conflict and the deliberate decision to use it as a narrative device, this movie is released in 1964, is it? 1964 is set nearly 10 years prior to that uh deliberately so that it can take advantage of this conflict as a plot mechanism and obstacle for its characters. Uh and for it to be relegated to purely a almost like a a secondary thought of a point of inconvenience for the purposes of the plot as a means by which to separate its protagonists to me felt, like I already said, kind of trivializing uh in the grand scheme of everything else that happens within the film uh it just to me feels like a kind of like frustrating shorthand um and and i don't know it 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 just to me the the again like the specificity of it and i know that it's not unique in the grand scheme of musicals you know having like some sort of like generational conflict that divides star-crossed lovers this happens all the time in these kinds of stories but uh, again it being named and and us being told Guy is going to the front lines like in algeria to go and like do war crimes against the algerians like and come back with like a piece of shrapnel on his leg uh which i also think is kind of a lazy shorthand for like being affected by a war uh, you know and growing and changing or etc um i i don't know there was just something about it that that rang sort of like kind of ugly for me like it sort of uh nefarious and it's kind of omission of the greater element that that played within like French culture uh, at large. And and it just kind of made everything else this like this very minor, you know, insignificant situation between these lovers feel just kind of easily dismissed. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, again, I will probably come back to this at some point after this uh, all has has passed and and hopefully, you know, some... Strides have been made in in the name of like human rights, uh, and, and like it more. But for right now, uh, it was all I could think about. And the film doing that was just sort of something to me that, uh, immediately just felt kind of nasty.
0: But this does bring up the sort of bigger conversation about like any film, which is like the, as you said, Aaron, the when and the where that we come to a movie, um, with is like really important in like our personal experience with the film even if you know we're all sort of collectively experiencing something the way a, a particular like I'll use this word again like alchemy of a film lands with us at a given time and place um is you know incredibly individuated um and I was feeling a lot of the same things that Aaron was feeling watching this with regards to um you know what's happening in gaza but i i also like appreciate that the that taking place like that 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 uh experience for me of like being like oh i'm thinking about this thing and this movie is talking about this thing and i can't help but like you know connect those two and it's affecting my experience of watching this film like that is like kind of what like any of art should do right like even if i am watching a film that is ostensibly vehemently apolitical to the point where it is like naming politics like and not and doing anything else with them um that like my experience with it is still a politicized one because we cannot exist with art and media extrapolated from politics and i think like you know, I was, uh, posting about not liking this movie, which is not a thing I do regularly. Like I, I typically like don't go online and go like this sucked, but like, I was that's
2: my gig. (laughs) I go online to hate on shit and Carly is just nice to everybody.
0: I try to be. Um, (laughs) but I was so stunned by the fact that I didn't like this and like, just felt like I needed to talk about, you know, not liking it. Um, and also like, It gave me an opportunity to hear from people who were like, I watched this and the first time through, I didn't like this either, but then I went back to it and I fell in love with X, Y, and Z things. And I was like, oh, okay. And then other people being like, you're insane. Like please die or whatever and, and <laughs> nobody said that for no the record said that. nobody said nobody that. said that everyone is very nice to me i've cultivated a very good circle um
3: they asked you to die very politely
0: yeah i said please they're like please can you maybe like if
3: you have time off yourself tonight please. just like yeah.
0: if you could um and then i had other people coming to say like oh i also didn't like this movie um and here's why and so like you know I'm not trying to make a case one way or the other but I do think it's interesting that like this is a film by like word of mouth only based on like what Aaron had told me and like what other people have said online about it like I believed to be like universally loved right and like so the fact that like I didn't I was like oh fuck like What is going on here? And it made me like investigate my feelings further. And regardless of the film being good, bad, or otherwise, that is important. And that is a thing that like, I will always appreciate. I will always appreciate when a film makes me investigate my feelings, even if the feelings are bad ones. Mm -hmm. And I wish that like more more people felt that way about movies in particular where like, oh, this movie is like making you feel something that you're uncomfortable with or that you don't like. Like maybe like try to figure that out. Yeah, interrogate that. Maybe like sit with that for a minute instead of being like, uh, this movie sucks, it's terrible and like all the people involved should like go to hell or whatever everyone (laughs) says online, right? Like, you know, I can look at these actors and say like, they're beautiful and competent competent and I love this set design and I really appreciate the costuming and all these things. Like I can find things about the movie that I liked, but still say like, I didn't like it for these reasons. And let me try to understand what those reasons are. And that I think is always going to be a more fruitful conversation about art because not everyone is going to feel the same way about art. That's not what it's here for. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, If nothing else, and I'm not saying this to like butter you you all up, like I uh, appreciate the opportunity to have like a conversation that is substantial about a piece of art because I don't think people fucking do that anymore. It's like if you don't like a thing, okay, I've I've moved on. Like I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm not gonna talk about why I didn't like it. I'm just gonna like call everyone racist and like move on or whatever. You know, like I don't know. (laughs)
1: No, I know exactly what you mean. And I mean, like, I, I don't know. It's the thing that Carson and I say on the show all the time is that, like, yeah. we very much pride ourselves on, like, not being a bad movie podcast. And, like, even when, you know, because kind of like you guys are experiencing right now, like, each week, one of us is subjecting the other to a film that, like, they haven't seen. We don't know if we're going to like them. And, you know, nine times out of ten, we're just like, eh, yeah, we're like, nine times out of ten, we're at least like, that was pretty good. Once or twice a season, we're like, ah, I kind of disliked that, and here's why. But, like, one of the things we do kind of, like, always say in those situations is, like, I don't know, we're, we're always more curious as mm-hmm. to, like, okay, this film has such a reputation, why don't we like it? Or, like, why don't I like it? Or what about it doesn't work for me than, you know well, what if we, what if we cracked a beer and said that like the umbrellas of cheerboard was fucking stupid and his <laughs> scarf was dumb. And like, if I were gee, I simply wouldn't have, uh, like, you know I, what I, I mean? Like,
2: different like, right
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> like skill issue, like got injured in the war skill issue. Like, um, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Um, <sighs> so like, I, I appreciate you guys coming on and especially like, honestly too, like, Kind of like you said. I mean, Carly, uh, you know, we were kind of briefly, very briefly, going back and forth on Twitter and Letterboxd today. Uh, I was with the two of you, and um, <laughs> one of the replies to your tweet, Carly, is somebody saying, "I haven't seen it, but I thought it was illegal to not like that." Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> our good friend, our good really friend cool that Peter you guys are coming <laughs> on
1: and being like, "Hey, here's what I didn't like. Here's what didn't work for me," as opposed to just being like. Okay, uh, actually, um, like looks looks right. Five star yeah. masterpiece. I loved it. <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> right. Well, so I
1: appreciate that. Of
2: course, I mean that's always more fun. And sorry to like interject here about it, but yeah. So right now I'm reading uh, some uh, criticism from the great Robin Wood. Uh, it's his film uh, Hollywood from uh, Vietnam to Reagan and Beyond, uh, and it has a new prologue to it written in like 2003. So this is 20 years ago now, and he is already. Uh, complaining about like the death of criticism or people's ability to engage with like uh, good criticism, and he paraphrases like a a different writer, but like says that like the the perfect critical interaction with a work of art is somebody saying something along the lines of, "This is so, isn't it?" And somebody else postulating and saying, "Uh, yes," and dot dot dot. You know, yeah. so either agreeing or, or you know, uh, agreeing and then refuting with, you know, contrary evidence from whatever the, the work is. And and I think that that's like what I like to do is just like, you know, go above and beyond like, you know, this this rips or this blows and like <laughs> actually talk about like what what is good and what doesn't work about a film from your like unique experience.
0: Well, and the other thing that happens when you engage with things that you don't like and you are curious about why you don't like them is you learn things about stuff you do like, right? Like in talking about why I didn't like this movie, I actually was able to articulate more about why I love American musicals so much and why like the spectacle and like high production value of that era of movie making really clicks with me. And like, I couldn't have articulated some of those corners and curvatures of, of a thing I already know that I like and have talked about at length. I couldn't have gotten to some of those specificities without watching this film. And so like, that's another thing that I think is missed often when people are unwilling to engage with a a piece of work, art media or otherwise that they don't like is that like, you end up sort of like learning more about yourself right like not to sound saccharin but like i i did have a chance to like think more about why i like musicals and what they mean to me and how i've watched them my whole life and what this wasn't giving me that i really am drawn to in that particular format of of hollywood movie making and like that was new information for me or like newly articulated information for me. And like, who doesn't want to learn stuff about themselves for like the entirety of their lives? You know, like, I think that's cool. Like learning new things about what makes me excited or sad or upset is like, I think part of why I'm here and art is supposed to help us do that and also have conversations with other people about that. And like I get to learn more about you all when we have that conversation. I'm sorry that I'm taking this to like, you know, a Girl Scouts lesson or something. Um, but <laughs> no, 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 do not apologize. It's okay. So we crazy. had like a friendship patch I think where we had to sit down and talk about like, mm. you know, why like learning about each other is important. Um, but <laughs> but like having this conversation and like Carson saying like yeah, like, this is what I was expecting, and this is my background, and, like, this is what I felt when I was watching it. Like, I learned things about Carson, right? And same, same thing with you, Caroline, and, and I think, like, I don't know, I just, like, I love my people, and I love learning about them, and so, like, anything that helps me do that is something that I'm going to find interesting and cool, like, even if I hate it. Yes,
1: no, absolutely. Um, Carson, do you have anything to add right now? Because I have something I want to Post the class, but
0: oh
3: god, I'm I'm debating whether or not I want to even. I'll say I'll, I'll try and be very brief. I'm not a brief speaker, but I'll try to be. I, I just want to.
1: You who hosts a podcast are, not
2: a, are none. <laughs> Welcome none to us the club, brother.
3: None none of us. Yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. I just want to news st- to me. Certainly not refute something that either of you are saying, but because so much of it is tied up in your own personal experience and your reactions to what is happening in the real world right now, but maybe to add. Uh, my thoughts towards this thing. I find the use of war as a plot device in this movie to be, like, obviously incredibly blunt and as apolitical as a use of war in a movie can be very nearly. But I appreciate it because I think within the context of this film, this very broad, very operatic movie in which the most important thing in the entire fucking universe is the relationship between these two people. I think the fact that the thing that explicitly breaks them apart is one war and two economic insecurity to be like kind of powerful in its own Mm -hmm. way. And I think the fact that he comes back from war and he is hurt and there is no, there is really no grand nationalism in this movie. There is no justification as to why he needs to go off to war. He is not in any way seen as more valorant or braver or a better person in any way. When he comes back, he's just, Fucked up, physically disabled, and he no longer, you know, has a relationship with the love of his life, quote unquote. I I find to be like, yeah, man, that's what war does. That is Mm. what all war is. It's just this thing that destroys us and...
1: I don't know. To me, I I think it works in that way.
3: That's all I'm going to say. And Caroline, what do you? That's
1: a very well, no, convincing no, argument. I want to throw back person. to that because that was going to be kind of some of my thoughts. No, the,
2: I have that, a not to <laughs>
1: show specifically that, but <laughs> that's kind degree. of where I was going. Yeah.
2: So that, I mean, so thank you, Carson. To, to that, I'll just say like the interesting thing about this film for me and why I'm like so middle of the road on it right now is because mm-hmm. it is like. Both a duck and a rabbit to me at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I can
1: solid "How I Met Your Mother" reference right there. Thank
2: you. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I, I forgot that it was a "How I Met Your Mother." I was just thinking between that one and then like the crone and the flapper. You know, whichever one of those illusions I wanted to to use. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. But by any means, I'm glad that uh, it paid off in the long term. Uh, but so there are readings of this film that i i take and i'm like i'm choosing to align myself with this particular reading of it and just as carefully could like examine it the other way and say no 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 this this is actually what it's about and i think it's what's interesting about the movie and and the thing that actually makes me appreciate it a little bit is that it could be uh it can be both you know you say that there's not like a, a a nationalism to this film and i think i kind of agree in terms of like the diegesis of the film and the the context with which Guy goes to war and all of that. But one of the things that I, I can see almost is this sort of like reification, this concretization of a nationalistic value in the face of an imperial defeat where economic insecurity and war, yes, are two of the driving things that pull them apart. But the greater thing that's drawing them apart is societal expectation of both procreation and the persistence of a familial unit. Right. Where it's like, she can't just raise the baby on her own and then have Guy come back and like be the dad. Like she's got to get married and have a father for the baby, et cetera, et cetera. And some of that is like societal impetus, but there is also a reading of it. I think that could very easily be like a projection of like in the face of this like great national disgrace. Now is the time for us to like, uh, reconstitute ourselves into a great nation of like French people and like go back to our traditional values. It almost has like a reactionary thrum to it if I want to get really like sinister with it. I don't think that the movie's totally doing that and that's not purposeful. But when I look at it in the face of that other stuff and the contextualization of it around the sort of like temporal proximity in which it's being made, there's part of that. But I think there's a, a greater existential conversation happening too about like fate about like a societal order imposing its will upon people who like would given circumstances do otherwise. Um, and I think that you know like there's there's an argument to be made that that's actually the persistent idea that like does win out given some like metatextual stuff about Jacques Demy, but we can talk about that in a little bit. I, I want Carly to have an opportunity to, to say her piece too. If oh she no, wants.
0: I think Caroline needs to, because she was going to go somewhere with it.
1: Well, no, this is pretty much exactly where I was going to go is, um, I was going to, you? on the one hand, kind of, um, you know, kind of echoing some of what Carson was saying of like, for me, like I, for me watching the film is, um, when it is how do i phrase this i guess like when i watch the film it's like it's like him having to go and fight in this war like is awful and does suck and is like not a thing that he or anyone around him wants to have happen and it's Mm -hmm. a thing that like he is being forced to do um so i so that is a thing that for me like i was curious um because Aaron, I think your point of, I can, I to kind of what your point is right now, Aaron, like I can kind of see it from both ways, right? Like I understand wholeheartedly your point of like, in the grand scheme of the world, um, is really the worst thing that came out of this war. Like a couple of teens got torn apart. Like, is that really like, like, is that really what we want to be saying? Um, And so, like, on the one hand, like, I do see that criticism of, like, it's kind of trivializing this conflict that, like, really shouldn't be trivialized in that way. Um, On the other hand, though, I do wonder um, if – so, this film comes out in 1964. Um, The end of the film takes place in 63, and this film spans several years. Mm-hmm. So like when, if we are going back to like when these actors, when these characters would have been teenagers that would have started them in about this era. So I'm curious if if they didn't center that it was like this specific conflict, this specific war. I'm curious if that would play better to the two of you. And if that would be like, if it is this, if it is this, like, less specific, just kind of like, oh, and then he has to go army, you know, very bust, bust. <laughs> like, I'm going to go army, mom. Um, like, if that, um, if that plays, like, if that goes down smoother for the two of you, or if, you know, kind of, if glossing over like the fact that it's like you know okay well he has to go to the army he has to go off to war but like we're not going to say which war because like we don't want to get political about it if Mm. that almost like has the opposite effect or if you just wish he wasn't going to war at all maybe he had to go take care of his sick grandmother in belgium yeah like would that be better
2: I mean, my argument is, frankly, yes, it is better. And I actually had this conversation with a friend uh, of mine who has been on our show before. Uh, shout out, uh, Jason Miller, great like film writer, critic, friend of the show. Uh, and he and I were discussing this because he loves Cherbourg and loves Jacques Demy, and brought up that you know he, we had that great you know this is the case, isn't it? Yes, and kind of conversation. And he said, check out Alan René's film muriel which also deals with the french algerian conflict but makes it more apoliticized and more just kind of broad into the sense that it's like the timing is right but they just kind of mention it as sort of like an abstracted war that he has to go to uh, and i was like yeah that actually i mean that does actually feel better to me and and maybe it's a nitpick you know and, and maybe it's hypocritical but i think there is something about like what the film I think deigns to do in terms of that sort of like universalizing of these experiences of inevitability that like, it really doesn't have to be like so specifically grafted to that particular war and that particular conflict. Um, and, And I think that maybe it does end up playing better if you remove it from a very specific, like socio-political, temporal space.
0: I am realizing the more we talk about this film, that like the textures of all of the pieces we're discussing, and the the kind of like stuff that makes this movie interesting, regardless of whether like we like it or not. I had a harder time accessing I think because of something that maybe Carson had a similar experience with, but I won't put words in your mouth, but like the, just like the format of like uh, the entire thing being sung and not really having like any real melody or like movements, um, was like alienating to me. And that is like purely a personal thing, right? Like that's not like I'm saying this is like a worse type of musical or whatever. Like for me, that just like distanced me, and I think probably prevented me from like trying to like get deeper into some of the like nuances of of what it was doing uh, narratively and politically. And the more we talk about like the ways that it it was potentially utilizing the war to affect in almost like a subversive way i'm like oh i could see that but like i was not able to get there watching this because i was just like way too alienated by the the type of musical that it is and and i think what i'm realizing about that is like yes that's an exercise in like oh look we're taking all these things that like exist in Western musicals and we're kind of like situating them next to each other, but we're not like fully going there. Like that's an interesting exercise. It's a very French exercise. Right. Um, but I also think what is interesting about like the format being what it is, is that I, I, I almost like am now retroactively realizing that the feeling of like watching this film, I think like incidentally is like an interesting commentary or like perhaps like way to relate to the fact that it is about the French Algerian war. Like the fact that things were so distancing to me and felt so impenetrable one because I'm an American right um and so like not fully entrenched in like the socio-political landscape of of that time and that place and that language but also that like the the set design and the fact that like everything is being sung and there is no dialogue and we are in this sort of like purgatory of like not quite high fantasy but not reality but not like full spectacle that like i i had this sort of like distaste for like anything they were talking about i was like this is so banal this is so like why are they why are they singing about this thing and like why are they having this conversation and I do think that's an interesting way to sort of understand like life during wartime. Um, Sorry to name a <laughs> Todd Salon's movie
2: and a talking head song
0: um, and a talking head song, but like and a talking a head song. song, that's where
2: my mind. Head song. Head song.
0: <laughs> but like that's cut the
1: cut The 4k of stop making sense a couple weeks ago, likewise. Then real talking heads kick the last couple weeks.
2: Yeah, It was magical.
0: I, I do think there's like, I don't know something interesting there and I'm realizing this as we're talking right that like there is something kind of banal and surreal and like frustratingly stupid about carrying life on while this thing is happening and the the fact that you have to talk about like marriages and like do I look fat and like what the fuck ever else right like Um, And I don't think that the movie is like necessarily purposefully doing that, but I do think that's maybe like an incidental, like, I don't know, cool, cool way to read the the fact that like I was frustrated by certain elements of the film formally.
3: It's fun and cool to use theory. (laughs) (laughs) It's my Smokey the Bear. Can, can, can I, can I, can I kind of leap off on that a little bit? Cause I don't, yes, you're not please. putting, you were not putting Carly words in my mouth at all. Uh, but I think I can elaborate maybe a little bit because I keep bringing up this word romanticism because that's what this is. I think it's interesting that this movie is like 90% romantic and you can almost see the 10% of it that is grasping it. You know, the social realism that's going to, especially, God, I don't know. I keep imagining like the new Hollywood seventies version of this movie. And I think it, starts where the movie ends and is way more about the like conflicted relationship that these two parents of this estranged child have um but you know this so much of what the actual performance of the music in this movie kind of feels like to me is 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 poetry is like spoken poetry is shakespearean verse is you know things that are more commonly found in like theater especially the theater of like you know, any, any century before the 1900s, really. Um, and oftentimes I think those things can be kind of difficult. It can be really difficult for a modern audience to get into Shakespeare and Shakespeare's written oftentimes in blank verse or in really easily accessible, almost, you know, sp- common speech like verse. And even so it can be kind of difficult for us to get our minds around that kind of heightened language. Um, and I like it and I love Shakespeare and I've done a lot of Shakespeare and I think it can be fantastic Uh, But I think (laughs) for me, at least, one of the ways into that kind of performance is that I know the words they're saying and I know what the words mean and what words they stress and how they perform the words and what they choose to say and what rhythmic pattern and which word they use, you know, what word they choose to put at the end of every line are the things that are important and compelling about the performance. And when it's all in French, and I don't know what any of the words are, it it turns into exactly what you're describing, Carly. It almost feels like this really weird, like, God, why are that, like, why would, this is gobbledygook language. Why are you performing it with such, you know, with such energy? Like, why? It doesn't, it's a very it odd experience.
0: It is. It is. Yeah. I think, too, there's, like, uh i'm i'm realizing that i also um i think the 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 formal qualities of the film and how it's sort of experimenting with like the entire thing being sung and like the restraint that it has in certain elements and then like a lot of bombast and other elements like set design and um and things like that like pulled me in enough that like i wanted to be immersed in everything that was happening and just like couldn't be um and i think yeah. maybe that's a function of the language but i also think that's a function of uh you know perhaps the way that it decided to to structure the film around around this sing songiness. i do want to bring up the opera Carmen, um, which is referenced in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there, are even if you're familiar with Bizet's opera, there are even some like melodic flourishes that I like noticed slightly. They're very vague because there's not a lot of melody happening in this, in this <laughs> musical. Um, but there are some melodic flourishes that are pulled directly from Carmen, uh, the opera. And, it's interesting to think about that opera in relation to this film that opera is uh also takes place during a war um and is about a soldier uh meeting a gypsy woman who likes to steal shit (laughs) um and she teaches him all these things and um and there he's entranced by her and it's it's a beautiful beautiful opera and then when it's set to ballet um i just like lose my shit um (laughs) and it's gorgeous it is very like entrenched in the fact that this man is a soldier and like um and that this woman is an outcast and um and mystical to a certain extent um and that like their love or their like connection to one another is is a bit forbidden um and and their like socio-political like places uh in in society are incredibly like necessary to understand like how and why the story is compelling um and the war is a, a huge feature of that um not necessarily like visually in the opera um but in sort of like the circumstances of their um their entanglement and in a lot of the lyrics um and this this film umbrellas is like not that right it's like we're doing the star-crossed lovers thing we're doing like the war-torn thing we're doing like this guy is a soldier and he like is in love with this person who he can't be with um she's like maybe a little bit of an outcast herself because she's like knocked up, but she doesn't have a thought. Like there are elements of the Carmen opera in this film, but it is making the conscious decision to not engage in any melody. Like Bizet is, is not here. Um, And to not uh, engage in the spectacle of opera. If you've seen Carmen, like it is one of the most sumptuous operas I've ever seen in my entire life. It is just stunning and gorgeous. And there are, like, fucking fans and lace skirts and, like, velvet drapes. And, like, and the music is is velvet. Like, it's just, like, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous opera. And this film is, like, nope. We are in 1960, you know, france and uh we're on bicyclettes and we are talking about tomatoes and we're in like a pink twin set (laughs) and like that is it and so you know i do think like it's interesting to think about those texts in relation to one another even if we aren't supposed to because they speak on each other um whether the films and film and opera intend to or not, like, you can't help if you know those stories, m- make those connections. And and for me, that contrast, like, helped me understand what wasn't working for me about the film and what I did really like so much about um, Carmen, the opera and, and the music that's in it. No, um, I actually love that you bring up that point, Carly, because that's something that I've
1: been kind of like circling around myself, which is I think for me, one of the reasons I like the film a lot um, is because for me, I do kind of recognize that that similar thing you're talking about is it's just like, you know, it is this it is this. It is this story we've seen before, right? Like it's like it's the star cost lovers of Romeo and Juliet. It's you know, it's the it's this uh, the opera of Carmen. It's all of this stuff that like is very familiar archetypically um, for us. Um, and for me, I am like every time they, because you know, I mean, like this is 1964 France, French New Wave. Like Jacques is uh 33 when this movie premieres, mm-hmm. so probably 30 to 32 when he's creating it. I'm like, every time he does something that is really like off kilter and off beat and something where it's like, I'm like, oh, I've seen that before in American musical, but like I haven't seen it done like that, that like yeah. it's to me and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm overthinking it and maybe I'm, I'm too high on my own Captain America. I understood that reference supply, but like it is just that thing for me where it's like the way that um a lot of these things are played with and how it is taking the story that we like all know and more or less have lived right like maybe we haven't you know had a had a pregnancy out of wedlock and been sent off to a war but we have all um had our hearts fucking broken and then like run into that person 3 years later yeah. and mm-hmm. just like <laughs> <laughs> what what like, you're not supposed to be here. What do I do with my hands? Um, which, like, we'll get to the ending when we get to the ending. But, like, you know, <laughs> it is that thing where it's like, it's like, I've seen this story a thousand times. I've heard this story a thousand times. I've lived this story, like, eh, you know, three or four times. And um, like, I've never seen it done this way before. Mm-hmm. And that's confusing. And I like it. And also, Roland Cassard is really hot. And I would let him marry me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. A hundred percent.
2: Carly said, better without the mustache on cassard what do you think caroline
1: oh that's a good question hold please i think it's a really i need, good I need to look up a photo because i i had not had the thought <laughs> so now i'm trying to envision him without the mustache Ooh, it is it is a very um it is a very specific mustache it's isn't so it specific.
2: it's a little crooked <laughs>
0: He just has those like beautiful uh, eyes and like the mustache to me is a little like to Carson's point, like they're aging him purposefully. Right. To like, here, here he to, to, yeah, he's fucking gorgeous.
1: No, I think the mustache helps. I think I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning it in my brain right now. I'm like, I, I Google image searched Roland Cassard and just have this spread of photos of him from the film. <laughs> And I am envisioning him without the mustache, and I think that um, I think it throws off the proportions of his face, and I think he looks like a baby, mm. a little tiny okay.
2: baby. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Fair, fair enough. That's fair. Can, can I also say just a, a point here of positivity? Unimpeachable. Great thing about this movie. Literally, anytime Catherine Deneuve's face is in close up, and it.
3: Yes, correct. (laughs) Her eyes are so shiny. She's got those like, oh my God, is she about to start crying right now? It's like in every second. I mean,
2: they're so shiny. She's stunning. I think she's just, Mm -hmm. she's beautiful. She's always really, there's that really funny part where her mom is like, you're not an Ugo, but you're not exactly a beauty queen. And I'm like, what are you talking? What are you about? talking about lies? <laughs>
0: her I know. was also like nine years older than her. Yeah, her mom
2: is not not <laughs> that much older than she is.
0: There's that one shot of Catherine Deneuve when they're sitting at the uh, dining room table, and her mother puts a crown on her. And you just the camera is looking straight across at her, mm-hmm. sitting where, uh, what's his name in the movie? No. The- Roland Cassard Yeah,
1: Roland Cassard Roland Cassard.
2: The the her uh the, the man who eventually becomes her husband. Yeah, Stranded Quarter Cassard.
0: Oh, so he he is sitting directly across from her, and the camera is sitting where he is, and you just see her face.
2: That part rocks.
0: Head like completely straight on, and it like I gasped. Yeah, I gasped.
2: It takes me back.
0: Breath And she's got, like, a Burger King, like, crown on top of her head. (laughs) And she looks like a fucking angel. I'm just like, who even are you?
2: I mean, Demi will do this with uh, donkey skin, too, and, like, put her in, like, a literal, like, donkey costume for an entire movie. And she's still, like, the most beautiful woman you've seen, so...
1: Yeah. Um earlier Aaron mentioned like it's so nice and important to have conversations that go beyond uh this rips, this blows. But I do have to say, just that moment you're talking about specifically Carly, it does rip. It rips. It, rips. it does rip. Yeah. It rips.
2: It's important to make time for it and go beyond it. But like when we're talking about <laughs> right. Catherine Deneuve and like her just her face and like her presence, it's like this yeah. rips. Like there's it's hard to, you know, turn off the lizard brain when that happens in a moment. Right. There- there are a couple of moments, I will say, and this is maybe going to be a comment
3: that almost ends up being sounding a little dismissive, but there are like these strings of like five seconds of film in this movie where I, I, I kind of feel what you felt, Carly, where you, get, you gasp and you kind of just see the images and see the movement and hear the, the beautiful orchestration and it all comes together and works in such a way that I go, Jesus Christ, is this the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire mm-hmm. life? And then they open your, their mouths and I go like, oh. <laughs> not quite. Like, no, okay, I'm not really in this. I'm not I'm really not, in this. I'm not really I'm in, not
2: really this. in but, this. But I know what you mean, Garth, like yeah. the transitions the yeah. scenes and like the settings and like when they come out in like a new costume and like, there's any, yeah. Oh, like, the gorgeous, character. like, ornate, like, colorful wallpaper behind them. And I'm just like, Jesus <sighs> fucking Christ. Like, how many of these are we, like, how, how do you keep one-upping yourself on this one? Yeah.
3: The, wh- what, what is, the, I don't know the name of the festival, but the festival that they, in the, near the beginning of part two, where there's the okay. festival going through the streets outside the umbrella shop, and you just get that, like, overhead shot that's canted a little bit, and then it cuts to the inside of the shop. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, is this the greatest film of all time? time look at all those people they're all wearing costumes like (laughs) I always make this joke Carolyn and I about a year would have been around Halloween so about a year ago we both saw Suspiria for the first time the Argento like the original um and my reaction coming out of that movie was I always say it is like I've never had a thought deeper about that movie other than just like moving pictures and sounds together like oh my god like if sometimes when you move a picture and a sound happens it is cool
1: Like
3: (laughs) and there are instances of that exact reaction in me in this in this movie.
0: Yeah. And that's like what pissed me off, man. Like (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, ah, only
3: Maybe one day I'll like I don't know. I'll Duolingo some French and then I'll watch this again and I'll be like, This is my favorite movie. Like I get it now. It's completely opened up. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and for the record, I realize how American it is to be like, I didn't like this movie because I didn't understand the language. And I'm not saying that, okay? Like, I'm not saying that. Um, I just think that, like, formally, the the sort of, like, sing-songy nature of the talk singing and it being persistent throughout the film and then also being in a language that, like, I don't, like, know or care for... Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: made it made it a little bit more alienating for me. But I don't want this to be the like, oh my god, Americans like need to just put subtitles on their movies and shut the fuck up conversation. Like mm-hmm. I am that ain't us. Uh, I, that's not where I'm at. Like I'm I'm all about. I, I grew up with a deaf dad, and I think like closed captioning and subtitles are just like like they enhance any movie and like television watching experience for me, regardless of the language that like I'm I'm watching it in. So, you know, I'm pro that
3: from similar Caroline, I think we kind of have a similar opinion about this. We are both very much not like subtitle people.
1: Yeah, I mean like
3: I think I think we're two of the few people in America in their twenties who like do not watch everything with subtitles. Mm.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and like, like obviously
3: I, I, in terms of access and in terms of foreign films and, you know, people... There are many, many reasons why people legitimately need subtitles in all kinds of situations. But in terms of my experience of watching things, I am very distracted by words on the screen Mm. when I could be listening to people talking. Like, if there is a way for me... I'm like... I just rewatched for the billionth time one of my favorite movies, Kiki's Delivery Service, and, like, I know that it is uh, heretical to watch... The uh, the dubbed version of the Miyazaki movies. I almost exclusively watch the dubs. We had this conversation online subtitles. recently,
2: and a lot of people fell right on the fence with it. That was like the yeah. the pure artistic approach mm-hmm. is to just watch both of them.
3: Yeah, yeah. The first time I watched any of them, I will usually and I'll say Max, a good street a, a decent streaming service run by a horrible human being.
1: I believe you mean is, HBO, but go on.
3: Uh, Whatever it's called is very good about having the uh, like, well, you can just swap between the two real fast. And anytime I've watched like a Ghibli movie, a Miyazaki, any, you know, anime, I, I will usually swap between the two because you can get a sense of both. And it's cool. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's different strokes for different folks. It's weird.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, like, I am 110 bajillion percent in favor of everything should have subtitles at all times, uh, like, or like, or like the ability to turn them yeah, on at all time. times. But yeah, I I have the, the, I have the kind of ADHD where if there are moving words on the bottom of the screen, I will not look at pictures, I will look at the yeah. words mm-hmm. that are moving faster than the pictures. Um, the but yeah, no, Uh, yeah, I mean, but that doesn't come into play for me nearly as much when I'm watching foreign films, because i quite literally need them yeah Yeah. um but yeah i don't know i mean okay um one thing i want to just really briefly say uh just about one story plot point that i would be remiss if i didn't bring up is um i one just want to shout out the fact that uh in this movie roland cassard is not like a shithead Like, I love that they don't do that trope where it's like and then she goes for a guy who fucking is so bad and he sucks and he's the worst. It's just like, nope, there's this nice, respectable gentleman in like really a social circle above them, really, but Mm -hmm. like, you know, who's just kind of like in their community. Who takes a liking to her and what's his deal um he has a mustache and he thinks uh she's really pretty and is very decent yep. and like <laughs> i was waiting the first time i watched this i was waiting the entire time for like him to get shitty or for him to like turn evil or for like gi to come back and for them to have mm-hmm. a fucking fight or whatever and, and i was just like very pleasantly surprised that yeah. just like actually no he's just like some guy like sometimes 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 girls will uh will um leave their star crossed lover for um for an uppercross gentleman in their community and he's literally just some guy. He's just
2: like that's guy. a meme
1: from like three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> can
3: we use that? Can we like use that as a segue to talk about the ending?
1: Yes, yeah. that was yeah, where yeah. I was gonna sneak that in. Yeah, because
3: some something I was kind of thinking about we were talking about it earlier is like I find the, I don't know. There's a, I, I think there's a read of the end of this movie, which is very saccharine, but not tragic. Whereas like, I don't know what y'all think. I find the end of this movie to be completely tragic. And I think a lot of that has to do with, I, there's a bit of this like weird Kuleshov effect thing going on with, um like just how you see Genevieve in that last scene. Cause I don't, no, again, God, if I spoke French, maybe I would have a greater access to exactly what her performance is bringing in that scene. Yeah. If but you spoke see... French, you would pronounce it okay. Jean which I found to be endearing the entire time. <laughs> Jean and I'm Guy. Um, But like, I see her in that car pulling up in the snow, and like, it's very beautiful and striking, and there is this, like, it it tugs at your heartstrings a little bit because you realize, oh my God, they're about to meet, and you get that bit of tension. But I see her in that car with her hair all done up in the big coat with the daughter, and something about it seems just horribly, horribly sad. Like, just completely, something about, like, maybe just because the last time I saw her, she was involved in this beautiful marriage that is ultimately a sham to a man that she doesn't love. And I think... I finished the film and then I kind of thought back to it. I'm like, no, in, in nearly every way he is, Roland Cassard is not a bad guy. He is, I think the film gives us every, you know, every lead to believe that he would be a very good husband, a good father to their, you know, not his biological daughter, but his adopted daughter to Francois, to girl Francois Gino Francois, not Andro Francois. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, interesting
1: prefix choice but go off
3: yes but uh in in but but just in the performance of that scene the way it struck me i was like oh my god she's lost her love she's so
1: unhappy
3: like look at her she's so unhappy she's like she's with this kid that she never wanted with this man that she never wanted she's so unhappy
2: mm-hmm.
3: and like why does Guy get to like Guy it like in some ways abandons her and yet he gets to be happy and he doesn't have he do you want to see your daughter no i don't think so i was like what the hell like she got so you know she got the rug pulled out from under her in so many ways um but then i finished the movie and i thought back on it i'm like i don't necessarily know that that's the read the movie wants me to have and i think where you fall in that kind of to me i see the end of the film I'm like god this is a tragedy both of their lives got worse but i don't know maybe that's the point maybe that ambiguity is what Demi's going mm-hmm. for
2: yeah, I mean, the, the ending is the part that I enjoyed the most out of all of this. And I think that <laughs> yeah. I am, am somebody who embraced the ambiguity of that. And, like, you know, th- th- I think this is probably part of the reason why I found this so frustrating is like, guys, I love this shit. I love these kinds of movies. Like, yeah. the two movies that came to mind as I was watching these last, like, 10 minutes uh, Scorsese's Age of Innocence and Clint's uh, Bridges of Madison County. Both movies about, societal impetuses acting upon two people at a particular point in time in which they are, you know, pulled apart from one another, despite the fact that their love is like persistent and like clearly something that would make each of them happy and they don't end up Mm. together and they have to just kind of accept settling for a life uh, that is not necessarily their dream, but something that uh, allowed them to keep living, (laughs) you know? And yeah, I don't know. At the end, like I I kind of I kind of like it. You know, it's like it, it it doesn't feel judgmental about it. It feels like it's really just here's two people uh who have experienced circumstances well beyond their control, uh, who have made a couple of decisions, you know, rightly or wrongly, that have just compounded into two lives that are like now completely separate from one another. Like they do not they 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 don't have a, a a future together. They only have a past, and I, I I don't know. I thought that that was like kind of lovely. Like they both wind up you know in these situations with you know other people with with families that they're looking after. And there's something about it that it just feels like I, I don't know. I, I mean, to me there there's a reality to that, like a a world of and an existence of like small compounding decisions and like compromises that you make. That put you in a place different than like where you maybe in your wildest dreams thought that you belonged, but it's still somewhere that like, you know, you you got to through like y- your own kind of decision making. And they both get in some
3: ways exactly what they wanted. He gets, you. Know, they both have a child named Francois, but he gets a boy, she gets a mm-hmm. girl. He gets the gas station, she gets to keep the shop. You know they in some ways they get exactly what they want but getting those things requires not having each other and that's beautiful mm-hmm. that's pre- pretty beautiful
1: yeah um carly do you have and do you have a take on the ending that you want to share or
0: the only thing you I don't was, have to just. the only thing i will say is that like i if we're talking about like things this movie is subverting or potentially like restraining itself from or, or doing in a different way um and uh kind of like circumnavigating your expectations like maybe this like isn't i don't know maybe this is anti-woman or something but like i think it's <laughs> um i think it's kind of cool that G is just like no nah, i don't want to see that kid like yeah. not, not because it's like the right perspective to have. I want, I just want to be clear. Um like, I, I think like, you know, be, be a father to the, the children that you sire. Um, but, but he's not
2: really that, that child's father, but he's
0: not really that child's father. And I think it's cool for a movie to show that like, because that would never yeah. happen in an American film. Yeah. Never, never, never in 1964 or like, you know, even now, would you like have a guy coming back from a war and like the, the mother of their child together being like, do you want to see your kid? And the guy being like, no, I'm good. Like, they, they just like, that, that would not be depicted on, on film. And like, the fact that it is and it is in like 1964 and also that it's like not even like a major moment it's like one of like several lines like I just kind of think it's like I think that's neat (laughs) I think that's like pretty (laughs) cool and um I don't know I think there should be more stuff that that does that like I I I think the practicalities that we're talking about of these decisions, the tragedy sort of like inherent in the banality of our lives um, is like an interesting place to like operate in when you're a film that looks like this film does.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree about how like you, like it is kind of radical, that that is the case, especially too, because Guy is one of our two protagonists, right? Like, um, because if you, especially in America, and I don't even know if you could make this movie in America just because you would have to still depict it. But like, if you were going to tell that story, you know, in America or less radically anyway, um, like it would have to be, Roland would have to be the protagonist and Guy would have to be the, the deadbeat shithead, don't be this guy. Like, and then, you know, and it would no longer be a story about the relationship between these two people, but it would be the story about how Roland saves, you know, Genevieve from like a life of destitution, right? Like that would be the story if you wanted yeah. to take these plot points and do them. So yeah, it is rather radical, um, especially for the time. To kind of uh Carson and Aaron, your guys' points too about um Like, is it tragic? The ambiguity is kind of there. It's kind of the point. Um, I think I'm in kind of a similar boat. I think maybe this is just using different language for the same thing. I would say less ambiguity and more like discord and tension Mm -hmm. between the elements of the film. Because like the thing that I keep thinking of is like that final shot, right? Like the car pulls away Mm
2: -hmm. and the
1: camera's panning, like pulling back out and he is playing in the snow with his family, Mm -hmm. like this beautiful, like, you know, obviously this film isn't American, but like this beautiful, all American, you know, like it's Christmas time, the snow is coming down, he's playing with his family. Why the most devastatingly tragic score in the universe plays? And when that happened, the first time I watched this movie, I was like, I was like, "Oh holy shit, this is the end." I was like, "No, this can't be the end." But like, this is clearly the end. Like this is the end of the movie. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. And then the credits roll and I'm sitting there like wrestling with those two elements. And like, you know, this I'm using these elements as a microcosm of like the last 10 minutes of the film. But it's like there is so much of that in there that you guys are right that like I really like where it's like I don't think it's fully tragic and I don't think it's fully happy in a way that like real life isn't Mm -hmm. and I think it's this really over-the-top melodramatic intensely theatrical way of getting at like what all of our lives are which is like well we everybody gets their heart broken and then you grow and you change and that happens and it will always be intensely tragic that you lost that love but also like you'll deal like you'll deal and like not even deal like you'll grow past it and you'll like Mm -hmm. just be a different thing later open a gas
3: station
1: yeah yeah and that that tension there yeah yeah and and the tension between those things like really gets me going and really amps me up there at the end
2: yeah to that point caroline i think like you know like i said this is you know both this is sort of uh an optical illusion for me where it's like i can make a case for you know one or the other in terms of whether i like it or not I mentioned earlier sort of like this metatextual component of this about Jacques Demy, who, uh, I mean, widely speculated for pretty much his entire career that Demy was a gay man. Uh, in fact, like he died and it was initially, uh, said publicly that he died of cancer. And then much later, uh, before Agnes Varda, who he married in 1962, uh, passed away, she told everyone that he had actually, uh, died of complications from HIV AIDS. So I I think that people have like retroactively like said, you know, like, oh, maybe he was like bisexual, you know, like he was married to Agnes Varda for, for a long portion of his life and they had a child together, et cetera. But I think that like distance that you're talking about to me reflects in the nature of the filmmaking in a way that I find compelling, like him as an artist wrestling with that sort of Societal expectation and that adherence to that sort of traditionalism, uh, you know, via his marriage (laughs) to a woman, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, alongside that complication of, you know, maybe feeling like he had to stifle other parts of himself. I think rings out within the movie. Like there's like a, a sort of stilting of like the whimsy, and there are parts of it that feel like they're about to like kind of evolve into something fantastical. Like in like the the kind of principal musical number that I'll I will wait for you, the moment where the two of them are with uh Guy's bike and like gliding across the street, you know, sticks out to me as this moment where it's like it's so close. Like they so deeply want to transcend the terrestrial qualities of like their existence and and move into something else. And they just can't quite do it. And then we wind up back in, you know, Gee's little room in his apartment and his little twin bed with his gingham sheets or whatever, you know. <laughs> and it's like, uh, I, I don't know. To me, it's like the stuff that I found confounding or even frustrating about the execution of the film in that regard to me suddenly becomes something that has a dimension to it that I appreciate. As an artist working through his own, you know, his own feelings, his own sensations, his own like existence as a person. Um, But again, whether or not I actually like it (laughs) or if it's more fun to talk about after the fact that that's really the question. It's a movie. It's a lot of movie. There's a lot of (laughs) cinema. Going on. It is cinematic.
0: I will say, oh yeah. Us talking about this movie is making me appreciate it more, which I always love when that happens. And I think that's like Mm -hmm. why people should talk about art together um in a way that is not just like this sucks or like I loved it. Um I I really, really one of one of the things that I genuinely enjoy about doing a podcast. And there are days when I, like, hate doing our podcast. Ours, not yours. Ours. Um, (laughs) And I'm just, like, I fucking, like, no, no. I don't want to do this. I hate this. Um, But one of the things that I always, always find myself feeling, even when I go into us recording an episode where I'm, like, I'm not ready for this. I don't feel smart. I don't have anything to say. Eh." We leave the conversation, I'm, like, oh like I feel so many things about this movie that I never would have felt if we hadn't had that conversation even movies I already adore and what I really love is when it's a film I don't like and I have a conversation (laughs) with some smart people and who think about things differently than I do and aren't replicas of my brain and can like make me see things that I wouldn't have seen otherwise and then I like like the thing more like that's fucking cool and I can still be like uh watching this was a little bit difficult for me friends but like now that we're talking about x y and z things I am actually retroactively deciding oh I really like that part of that movie or I I really appreciate that scene in ways that I like wasn't able to access when I was watching it in real time like I don't know I'm I'm not like going back on the fact that like I didn't enjoy watching this movie but I am going to like reassert that like there were things about this film that I did genuinely enjoy um and made some of the things that I didn't more frustrating but what the this what this conversation has done for me has also made me realize too that like some of the things that I didn't like perhaps served a purpose and like my interrogation of like that purpose and also hearing you all so talk about it so beautifully and intelligently is making me like those things a little bit more (laughs) and be like oh maybe like the fact that they like didn't float away on the bicycle and I really wanted them to is like the point and like something that is interesting (laughs) and like I should probably sit with so yeah long-winded way of saying like I I really appreciate us talking about this film so openly and honestly and, like, us having the space to, like, disagree on stuff because it has landed me in a place of, like, liking this movie more than I did when we came into the conversation.
2: Upgraded from a hated it to a hated it in a low-key way.
0: <laughs> no, now I'm just kind of like... <laughs> Maybe yeah. like I like that I hated it, you know? Maybe like, I'm supposed yeah. to be into the fact that like I hated it a little I
2: bit. I love I love when that happens. I was like this <laughs> antagonized me, but that's kind of the point. All mm-hmm. right.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: No, absolutely. Well, okay, awesome. Well, I am very glad um I am very glad that we kind of like ended up here uh because I did see both of you. You're refused on social media this afternoon. And I was like, oh, no, they're going to be no. so angry that we have to do this tonight. Not at all. No, so, not at
0: all.
3: I, I just I, I once referred I legitimately don't remember what it was a recording session for, but there was like a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I was talking to my mom before we did a recording session of this podcast and she was like, oh, are you ready? Are you excited? And I was like, no, I don't feel smart. I don't feel like excited. I'm not ready to do it. But I'm like, but. Like doing this podcast is like going to the gym. Like there are days when I'm really excited to get in there and like do the work and get it done. And like I, and then there are days when I'm just not, but I know that when I get to the end of it, I'm going to feel better. Yeah. And I'm going to be glad that I did it because it is, good to have a conversation about art even if you don't feel equipped to do yes, it
1: yes that is exactly yeah. the the um analogy i was going to draw is mm-hmm. it's no. like going to the gym because it's like yeah. <laughs> we're working up the gumption to actually go and get there is the mm-hmm. hardest part and then once you're there it's like oh i'm, I'm kind of glad that i did that really and yeah, yeah i mean like literally like i think it was like two weeks ago we were recording and i was like rushing in and like my space was a mess and I like none of my stuff, like my computer was still in my bag from work. And I was like, ah, fuck, mm-hmm. fuck, 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 fuck. And I was like literally having like low key, like about to like snap. <laughs> like I was like setting reception. up my podcast stuff. And then we get like two minutes into the recording. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, this is my favorite part of my week. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. The endorphins yeah. about like the are rushing. And- about, about some movies that we watched this week. Yeah.
2: And look at all these podcast gains um, between the the five people here. <laughs>
0: I think like I what what is so rewarding too is like we don't often at least I don't in my day-to-day life get an opportunity to talk to people this way like I have to talk about like you know marketing stuff Um, and (laughs) (laughs) I was like really trying to choose my words carefully there Um, yeah and like you know it It is really, like, it's why humans are here, right? Like, to just end on a (sighs) very, like, you know, big cosmic note. Like, what I am always, what I always come back to is, like, we are social creatures who are, like, deeply, deeply connected to our own humanity and the humanity of others, like, in our natural state. And talking about art is a way for us to explore that humanity and understand each other better and connect in ways that are really meaningful, that, like, capitalism stomps out of us every second of every day. And so, like... I'm not going to sit here and be like, podcasting is radical. Cause like, it's not like, we're not, I'm not, you know, building a revolution uh, talking about why I hated umbrellas of <laughs> Um, But, yeah. but I do think that connecting with people in this way is really, really important, particularly right now. Um, in like this moment of like extreme alienation that we are all living in. Um, and that is only going to get worse. Um, and like, so, you know, that's why this stuff feels so good, even when we're talking about movies that, like, we might not like or we're not feeling smart enough or whatever. It's just, like, it's human. It's human to have conversations that fill you up and, like, help you learn about each other. And then when you do it and you're like, oh, yeah, this is, like, what I'm missing from, like, 90% of my waking hours. And, like, this is why I know people and like people so that I can talk to them yes. stuff. <laughs>
1: 110 percent with that having been said um i mean you two host an amazing podcast and i know that we have uh i know that we have mentioned it multiple times but it feels like we're getting pretty much to the end of this episode um unless anybody has some final thoughts um so would you two like to tell the folks listening where they can find you guys on the internet
2: of course i would thank you so much Uh, Yes. So Carly and I host the podcast Hit Factory, which is a podcast about the films of the 1990s uh, that discusses their history, their sociopolitical context, how they uh, speak to their moment, why they're still important today, Uh, not just maybe in artistic merit, but also the way that they shaped the industry and why the industry looks different than it did at that period of time. Uh, And you can listen to us really wherever you look for your podcast. I mean, we're on Apple and Spotify, which are the big ones, but uh, we're all over the place uh, elsewhere if you look for us there. We also have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash hitfactorypod that you can subscribe to for biweekly episodes uh, and the whole Hit Factory experience. We've got a couple bonus things that I have in the works, just gestating in my mind grapes right now. That will probably be happening at some point if I find oh. the time and availability to do them. Uh, but beyond that, uh, yeah, it's where you get the whole Hit Factor experience. It's a great way to support the show and allow us to spend more of our time doing that instead of our day jobs so that we can do even more great content. Uh, and you get invited to the Discord as well if you're on Discord. We're talking about all sorts of stuff in there. We have a channel dedicated specifically to just... Glass block architecture because our entire community is really into it for some reason. Shout
0: out to Joe, my girl.
2: <laughs> Shout out to Joe. Um, yeah, so that is where you can find us uh, if you are curious to listen to more of us.
1: Obviously, I would not invite you on the podcast if I didn't think you two were good podcasters. So obviously, you being here is is an endorsement in and of itself. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, like the show is really phenomenal. And like Carly's kind of lead up to this about just like, you know, like we're talking about movies, but we're talking about fucking capitalism and we're talking about alienation and we're talking about all of this. I, I think you guys really, really, really smartly and elegantly weave all of that into your show in a way that feels like really organic and really necessary and a way that doesn't feel like What if a couple of radical leftists talked about movies? Like it (laughs) feels like like you guys really have you guys really feel this stuff deeply and like can speak to it very very well. So if you if you are even remotely politically aligned with me and Carson, you will like the Hit Factory podcast. Certainly, Um, if you if you can get past the 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 political bullshit we try to pedal on this podcast, you will love (laughs) what we're doing over there. Corey, would you like to tell the fine folks where they can find us on the
2: internet? If you like what you hear, please be sure to like us and subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. Leaving a review would also really help out the visibility of the show. A huge thank you to Callie McAlexander for our social media. Please make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Pod. A very special thank you to our patrons. If you'd like a shout out on the show in bonus content, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash pod. We'd love to have you over there and you can get all of our content for starting at $3 per month. Any other questions, please head over to patreon.com slash pod.
1: Well, Aaron and Carly, thank you guys so much again for coming on the show.
0: Thanks for having thank us. Yeah. And thanks for like, truly, I really appreciate this conversation. And I, I, love that we were able to talk about this film so openly and honestly and i'm not just saying this just because like i'm afraid of internet ire that i've already received i genuinely feel differently about the film than i did coming into this conversation and i fucking love when that happens it's all you
2: can hope for hell yeah. You too
0: yeah
1: well thank you thank you both again so so much um we, we'll, we'll we'll be in touch about next season. Certainly, we begin planning that in December. So, oh my gosh. because guess what? It's almost twenty twenty four. Be quiet! Don't almost twenty twenty four. It's so crazy. It's January second,
0: twenty twenty three. It, it's like I. I referenced Salvador Dali earlier. I feel constantly like I am living in his like the persistence of memory painting where the clocks are melting mm-hmm. because like, I just don't understand what time does anymore. It's pretty remarkable. It's just, it's
1: just completely unreal, but it is. Yeah. Thank you guys both again so much for coming on the show. Um, We will be in touch about getting you guys on again. Cause this was, this was phenomenal and I couldn't agree more Carly about um like, just having a totally new lens on this film. And that's like the kind of conversations I think we're always hoping to have when we host podcasts on movies. Yeah.
0: Well done. Um, You did it.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
3: You
0: (laughs) You did it too. We all did it together. We did. did.
3: It's team sports.
0: True. Thanks for having us on gang.
3: Next week, uh, we're going to be doing a film from a director that we've talked about before. Uh, because he's got a movie coming out. That movie is called Dune Part Two. Oh no, wait, oh wait, because of the uh, ongoing the on, well, at this point only one strike. I don't know what it's gonna be like when you hear it in the future, but because of the ongoing sag after strike uh, and David Zaslov's greed, uh, that movie is no longer coming out in the month of November. But you know what did come out last month? A movie. Killers what? Of the Flower Moon. Yeah, Killers with Flower of the... Moon. Yeah, so I'm feeling pretty Scorsese. I think you're feeling pretty Scorsese. I want to talk about Scorsese. Scorsese I'm feeling score. I'm gonna. I'm gonna coin a term right now. Score yay z. I will allow it. I will allow it. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, So next week we're going to be talking about Martin Scorsese's 1980. I don't remember the exact name of the year, but 1980s comedy, After Hours, a great film that Caroline has not seen.
1: That is correct. So. Um, I have been I have been tearing through um, a lot of Scorsese's filmography, yeah. and I had to text Carson. I was like, "These are the ones I have not seen. Pick some out right now because I'm going to watch yeah. the rest of them." And guess what? I think I've watched four in like the two weeks since yeah. I sent you that text message. So I'm glad you I'm glad you got your chips down on a few of them.
3: It's a, a very good movie. I'm excited about it. See you next <laughs> week.